Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking about privacy today, privacy by redesign. I'm privileged to be speaking with Anne Kavukian, the Information and Privacy Commissioner of Ontario, Canada. Anne, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Tom. As an introduction to our audience, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and your latest work, please? Certainly. So we're going to be talking about privacy by design today, and this is something that I developed a concept and methodology back in the 90s, but it's really taken off in the last few years. But first, let me tell you what I do in my day, my day job. I'm a privacy regulator, the privacy commissioner of uh, Ontario, Canada, and I oversee compliance with both freedom of information and protection of privacy legislation that applies to the public sector at the provincial or state level, municipal levels, and also all health information, medical data, is uh, captured under our acts under PHIPAA. You have HIPAA in the United States, we have PHIPAA in Ontario. But what is privacy by design about as distinct from this legislation? So with respect to the laws that I mentioned to you that I oversee compliance with, I do act as a regulator. I oversee compliance. I want to make sure that the government and um, healthcare uh, people, hospitals, etc., follow these laws. And if they don't, you can file a complaint with me. We investigate. I have order-making power. It's very strong. I can make organizations do things, etc. But that ultimately is not my wish. Now, why, you might ask. What I'm finding is increasingly, with the growth of Wi-Fi and wireless communications and online social media and everything going online and morphing into the cloud, less and less is coming to my attention. If I see the tip of the iceberg in terms of actual data breaches that happen, I'll be lucky. So I want to broaden my reach to address more and more privacy-related issues. And I thought the way you do that is not through a regulatory compliance um, protocol where the harm arises and then someone complains, we investigate, and we offer some system of redress through legislation. It's too little, too late. What I want, I want to prevent the harm. How do you do that? You embed privacy by design into existing systems and business practices and networked infrastructures. That's what it's all about. Well, and you're really the pioneer of this concept you introduced here, privacy by design. What would you say are the core tenets of this concept? There are three core tenets, but I should tell you there are seven, what we call the seven foundational principles of privacy by design, and I'll run through them in a minute. But there are three absolute essentials. One, it has to be proactive before the fact, not afterwards. So it has to be embedded into the design of a new system, it can be a computer system, it can be a business practice, it can be a new protocol, whatever it is, it's got to be part of the emerging system being developed as a core functionality. So it's not bolted on afterwards, uh, after the system has been developed or the procedure has been developed as an afterthought. What I find is that works rarely works as effectively and usually doesn't work very well and it costs much more to bolt on protections after the fact. So it has to be proactively embedded in design, ideally as the default setting. We know from the academic literature that whatever the default condition is, that condition rules 80% of the time. The default rules 80% of the time. I want that to be privacy. So by default, I mean it's automatically available to the user without them having to ask for it. It's embedded. It's built into the system. 
the third and possibly most important tenet is privacy by design is all about a positive sum, not zero sum functionality. By that I mean, traditionally, privacy has been viewed in a zero sum manner. It's privacy or security, privacy or business interests. It's always privacy versus this other interest. And I've been doing this a long time, over 20 years, and I can tell you, when you put privacy against security, for example, it's, it's never privacy that wins. It always falls off. Security leads, which is understandable. And let me be clear, security is essential to privacy. You cannot have privacy without strong security, but you can have the reverse. So what I tell people is get rid of this dated zero-sum model of one or the other, substitute a positive sum paradigm, by which I mean you can have two positive interests working together, both increasing incrementally in terms of a positive presence in the system. And I know from security technologists who I've spoken to, engineers, they've told me that the few times they've actually been tasked with building systems that have both privacy and security as core functionalities in the design of the system, it has invariably elevated the entire level of protection offered by this that system, not one against the other. The one versus the other, it's a false dichotomy. It's an unnecessary trade-off. Get rid of it. Substitute and instead of per versus. Give me privacy and security, privacy and marketing. You can do. You can always do both. So those are the three essentials. Now, Anne, I understand you have a new concept, privacy by redesign. What does that entail? <laughs> okay, we just hatched that last year, and let me tell you what that's about. Privacy by design works best when you have a new emerging system. You're starting from scratch, you're designing something, you're just starting off. So it's easy to then embed privacy, well, easier to embed privacy into the system because you're not working from an existing anything. You're starting from scratch. So when you think of the smart grid and smart meters that are just beginning to be rolled out, that's an ideal candidate. And in fact, we've done a ton of work in that area, both in Canada, Europe, and the United States. So emerging systems, nascent systems, ideal for privacy by design because you can actually embed privacy as a design feature. What if the design features are already there? What if you have an existing system or a legacy system? And last uh, last year, I'm trying to remember when, uh, I spoke in Phoenix. I spoke to American Express, and they were wonderful, and they're very interested in privacy by design. But they said to me, they said, you know, Commissioner, we're really interested in this, but as you know, most of our systems are already in existence. They're out there. How do we adapt privacy by design to existing or legacy systems? And I thought, that's an excellent question. And that day, I had meetings at um, Arizona State University, which has the first privacy by design research lab in the university. So I was meeting with a lead professor there, and I said, you know, Professor Prosh, let's figure out how to do this for existing systems. How can we redesign existing systems to ensure that these essential three tenets that I mentioned to you, privacy by design, can be incorporated into existing systems that are already on the ground operating. So she and I sat down and we hatched privacy by redesign, which is an extension of privacy by design, but its application is better suited for an existing system that's here. And I should tell your audience, if any of you uh, would like to come to a workshop that we're offering on privacy by redesign, the very first one ever, we're offering it in Mexico City on November the 1st in the morning. If you go to our website, you'll find some information on that. You can sign up. It's free of charge. But you have to get there. <laughs> <laughs>
And give us a sense, when we're talking about existing systems in this marriage of security and privacy, what needs to be redesigned today to be, to be most effective? Well, when you think of all the existing systems that our offices use, for example, uh, in terms of uh, collecting data, hopefully uh, limiting the uses of the data to what is permissible, and then seeking some kind of consent management system after the fact to be applied to that if additional secondary uses of the data are sought out. These are some of the areas that we have to turn our mind to. How can we expand the notion of privacy as the default setting? How can we expand the notion of embedding these protections proactively into the system so that it automatically knows when to seek out additional consent from the user if additional uh, secondary uses are being sought out by especially external third parties. So what we need are we need a few triggers in existing system systems that aren't in existence today. And when these triggers are invoked, it in effect translates the system into a privacy by design system by automatically uh, quest requesting additional consent management or uh, additional identity management protocols or you know whatever the case may be. So we need these automatic triggers to be raised in existing systems that, that aren't there right now. So that's some of the privacy by redesign. And I should be clear. This only applies when you have personally, what we call personally identifiable information, or PII. By that I mean any information that is linked to your name, address, uh, social security number, uh, anything of that nature, driver's license, any, any identifier, unique identifier, or even if it's not direct, directly linked, if through a process of data linkage it can be linked to your information, then that's the time that you really have to protect the data. So that's when especially uh, the privacy by redesign features would be looked at when we look at existing systems. Where are the areas where PII, personally identifiable information, is involved? And then look at what, what are the automatic triggers to ensure that appropriate consent management takes place, appropriate use limitations placed on the um, data to, to limit the use of the data, to the initial purposes it was intended for, things of that nature. Well, and you've done a great job outlining the, the objectives. What are some of the obstacles that organizations are apt to, to hit as they try to get there? You know, what I have to tell you is organizations, generally speaking, mean to do the right thing. There's no question. But what I found is existing organizations tend to work in a siloed environment. By that I mean each department has their own area and you work in this silo or that silo. So security works in security, engineering folks speak, speak engineering language, computer folks speak computer, and then you've got law department over here, they speak legalese. Every group is a silo. And the problem is what you have to do with privacy is you have to weave privacy throughout the entire organization in order for it to work effectively. It can't just be you develop the standards, you, you get the code written by the uh, software engineers, and then it goes to the standards group, and then it goes to the business group, and they sign off, and everybody's done it, and then, oh, yeah, in this corner you have privacy as an afterthought. doesn't work. doesn't work well, that's for sure. And what those kind of existing systems do is they lend themselves to unintended consequences. 
because the engineers, through no fault of their own, have been tasked to develop a particular system, and they're going to do their best to give um, give you that system. They haven't thought about privacy because no one asked them to build privacy, embed privacy into the system. So they've built it with a particular goal in mind that has nothing to do with privacy. And then the thing goes public, and all of a sudden, boom, you've got this unintended consequence. And I'll give the example of Apple and the recent um, iPhone smartphone scare where they learned that people's geolocation data could be discerned from the unique identifier linked to their mobile phone, which when linked to other identifiers through your laptop or other device, makes it personally identifiable. So all of a sudden, you've got this unique identifier, which people are saying, well, that's not personal information. It's just a unique identifier linked to this person's phone. Well, excuse me, let's think this through. Can't the phone or your, uh, the fact that it's yours be linked to that information? Of course it can. And we chronicle this in a paper that we just released, Wi-Fi Positioning Systems Beware of Unintended Consequences, precisely because the engineers and software designers who design the system they weren't asked to consult with any of the privacy people who could have told you in two seconds that this was going to be a real concern. And so they designed the system, and then out they go with the system. They roll it out. iPhones are great. Everybody loves them. Oh, they didn't think about the possible implications of accessing people's geolocation data that could be rendered identifiable. So these are some of the areas where people have to work much more globally across the entire organization. You really have to cut through this silo of thinking of we've got this department versus that department versus that, and they don't talk to each other until the, the product goes, goes to market, and then you've got a data breach and the public goes crazy. And this will impact your brand. It will impact your business practices. It will lead to lawsuits and class action lawsuits, and it will cost a fortune. Avoid all of that. Avoid the harm by embedding privacy by design from the get-go, from the beginning. Well, and you just accurately described the, the state of the world in recent weeks because we've seen <laughs> a lot of privacy breaches, and we've seen a lot of people go crazy. Yes, it's, and, and it, it's happened so many times, Tom. I can tell you this. As I said, I've been doing this for a while, and you see it again and again. It's not that the, the harm that arose or the data breach was intentional in any way. Of course not. But it's through uh, a disregard for the, from the, for the privacy interests being embedded into design. When I speak to engineers, as I'm doing extensively now. I've called this the year of the engineer because I'm, I'm speaking almost exclusively to engineering audiences and software designers to give them this message. They have been extremely receptive. It's never that they say, no, we're not interested, go away. They say, no one has raised, raised this with us before. It's never been on our radar because, you know, why should it be on an engineer's radar? Their job is different. They're coding. They're code writers. They're, they're designers. They're designing functionality into new products and services, you need some of the privacy people, which hopefully also exist in the company, to speak to them and to be part of that management group that is speaking to the engineers and giving them their design specs. Now, one of the things we're doing in my office, we're operationalizing privacy by design. As I said, there are these seven foundational principles, and we're taking them and translating them into, um, you know, code. How would this appear in code, in, in, in you know, uh, 
engineering speak and, and computer speak. Because what is a policy, basically? What are principles? The rules. The rules. You do this and you don't do that. And if this, then that. You know, they essentially can be translated into the language that engineers understand and can easily then embed into their design and functionality. And this applies across industries. It can uh, apply in healthcare. In, in various lawmaking functions, um, business and regulatory agencies, banking, healthcare, government. This applies across the board. And we're working with people in various sectors to ensure that we make this accessible in their language. And if we haven't done that yet, we'll do it next because we want to help as many different areas as possible so that they can also operationalize this directly into the areas of their business. And given the incidents that we've seen in the threat landscape, what are the global privacy trends that really concern you the most today? I think one of the greatest concerns, you've seen the enormous increase in hacking and um, access to, to data. Let me just flag two, two concerns. One of the things is, in response to all the external hacking that's taking place, people are tending organizations, companies, to um, secure their perimeter. So they're putting up the external firewalls. They're protecting the data that they hold inside from external attacks, third-party attacks from the outside. Of course, you should do that. So I'm not suggesting otherwise. But sometimes they're doing this to the exclusion of strengthening the security provisions on the inside. What they forget is in cases, for example, of identity theft, the biggest breaches, the biggest problems arrive from the inside, inside jobs done by rogue employees. That's who you have to be concerned about uh, because they have access to personally identifiable data on the inside. It's not encrypted, so it's there, it's there in plain text for anyone to access. And so the inside rogue employee can access this data and sell it or do whatever they want, and there's identity theft cases, huge. So it grows very large. You have to protect both the inside and the outside, which you know you would think goes without saying, but absolutely. Increasingly, we've also noticed that the obvious place to start with much of this is to encrypt your data so that you don't have it sitting there in plain text. When it's encrypted and it's in ciphertext, at least for the casual um, rogue employee, uh, it's going to be much harder for them to try to take this data, steal it, do whatever they want with it. And so it does present a significant deterrent. A lot of people aren't starting there. If you look at a lot, lot of the cases uh, in, the, in the recent past, had they encrypted their data, a lot of the, the breaches that were reported would have been non-existent. It wouldn't have mattered. The data wouldn't have been accessible uh, without the keys. Now, the other thing I'd like to point out is increasingly you've got a lot of biometric data, uh, your fingerprint, um, facial recognition technology, things of that nature. Biometrics are becoming very, very popular. You also have to be very careful how you use your biometric data and who it's accessible to. Because if you have biometric data in plain text, it's not encrypted or biometrically encrypted, which is even better, then when a something arises in the future, a problem arises and there's a crime or something, law enforcement may come knocking at your door and they want to access your biometrically encrypt your biometric data because they have, of course, in their possession biometric 
uh, people's fingerprints, etc., and they want to do matches. But this this is a, a purpose that was never intended to begin with for administrative purposes. So be very careful of the growth of biometric data as well. And, of course, information growing into the cloud. Oh, maybe there's one other thing I could mention if we have time. Your audience may be interested in knowing that privacy by design has now been made an international standard. Last year in Jerusalem in October, uh, first of all, once a year there's an annual International Privacy Commissioners and Data Protection Regulators Conference. Usually in Europe, last year Israel hosted it. And we unanimously passed uh, an international resolution making privacy by design an international standard. So this is now being adopted worldwide. Not only in Canada, the EU, uh, the FTC has made it one of its three recommended practices. And one of the bills that was recently introduced in the U.S. uh, for a commercial bill of privacy rights by Senators uh, Kerry and McCain, that has the language of privacy by design directly in the bill for the first time. And just one final question for you. For organizations that are looking to improve their privacy policies and their enforcement, where is a good place to begin? Well, of course, I'm going to send you to our website. <laughs> uh, we have two websites. If you go to privacybydesign.ca, then you'll find everything associated with privacy by design. But if you want to ensure that as an organization, just in terms of what you're doing now, you increase your privacy practices, there's a wonderful web house, uh, website in the States, uh, Privacy Clearinghouse. They're fabulous. They have wonderful information on how to avoid uh, cases of identity theft, and they do an outstanding job, so I would refer you to there as well. Very good, Anne. Thanks so much for your time and your insight today. My pleasure. Thank you. We've been talking about privacy by design and privacy by redesign. I've been talking with Anne Kavukian, the Information and Privacy Commissioner of Ontario, Canada. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.